You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Amen, amen. Uh, well, you can turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll hop into the Word here. Uh, raise your hand if you were not here last week. Okay, half the room, amen. Praise God. Glad you're here this week. Uh, well, I, I spoke uh, last week on forgiveness, and I just talked about the power and the authority that we have uh, as followers of Jesus to forgive, uh, and that he's given us that authority by the Holy Spirit, and that in the old covenant that they forgave, the high priest alone was able to offer forgiveness by the blood of a bull or a goat, uh, and then John the Baptist comes, and he offers the nation of Israel forgiveness by the waters of, of baptism, which was a remarkable thing, if you really study it out, um, Israel did not know forgiveness of sins except for the blood of bulls and goats. So for a man to offer them forgiveness with water was really, really wild. Uh, and then Jesus came onto the scene and he starts forgiving folks uh, in front of people. And he's like, hey, I forgive you your sins. And the Pharisees start panicking and they're like, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus was like, listen, what's harder to say get up and walk or, or be forgiven. He's like, but so you know I have the authority to forgive sins? Hey, hey brother, get up and walk. And dude gets up and walks. Um, and then you see it culminating in John 20 when he raises from the dead, he breathes on his disciples. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Anyone you forgive shall be forgiven. Anyone who sins you withhold will be withheld. And so we just talked about the power and the authority that we have to forgive. It's not a side issue. It's not um, something that we get to choose to do or not to do. If you study the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 17, it's pretty remarkable. I encourage you, if you're having trouble forgiving, go read that parable in Matthew 17. And I'll summarize it for you quickly, and then we'll hop into the word. But in Matthew 17, there is a guy who owes his master what's the equivalent of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in today's terms. And the master's like, dude, you've done screwed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in jail and all your family. And he's like, no, please have mercy on me. And the master's like, fine, I forgive it all. You don't have to pay me. Go on. Now, how many of you know that's a good day? That's a great day. Um, you know, a couple hundred G's just wiped off your books real quick. And, uh, and then he goes, and that guy had a servant. And he goes to that servant, and that servant owed him the equivalent of like maybe 50 bucks. And he's like, this, he's like hey, I, you need to pay me that 50 bucks now. And the guy's like, hey, I don't have it. Can you, can you have mercy on with me? And he's like, no, I'm not going to have mercy on you. I'm not going to forgive you this debt. And, uh, and so he throws the guy in jail, and the, the, the other guy's master, his servant, said, hey, did you see what the guy just did? And uh, he told him, he's like, man, you're a wicked servant. Shouldn't you have forgiven him? You got forgiven all of this, and you wouldn't forgive him this small amount? And, and, so, and then Jesus ties it all off, and he says, guys, God wants you to forgive from your heart because of how much you've been forgiven. Um, and so if you're having trouble forgiving, just know that anything that anyone has ever done to you, no matter how bad or wrong or hard, it, it, that, that debt that they owe you is not bigger than the debt that you owed God. The debt that we all owed God was death. That was our debt. And God says, I forgive you. I'm not going to, you don't have to pay me death. <laughs> I'm going to pay it for you. Amen. 
And so that's just a good reminder that oftentimes when we struggle to forgive, it's because we've forgotten how much we've been forgiven and how much we've been loved by God. Amen? When that's in the forefront, forgiveness just seems to flow like a mighty river. And so what I want to read to you tonight, I believe, is foundational uh, to not just living a life of forgiveness, um, but also living a life where you, you actually don't get offended. Amen? How many of you know it's awesome to live a life of forgiveness, and it's even better to live a life where it's really hard to be offended? Like where, where, where you wouldn't have to constantly be releasing forgiveness for people because, you know, how many of you know the most sensitive people, you get around those people and you feel like you got to walk on eggshells because everything you say and do is going to set them off? That's one type of person. Praise God. We pray for them. But then there's another group of people. How many of you know it's amazing to be around someone who's super secure in their own skin and no matter what you say or do, like you feel like you can, you can manifest your flesh a little bit and they're not going to get mad at you and, and shame you. Amen. How many of you like to be around those people? Yeah, we all do. And so this scripture here is foundational for that. And this is where I believe that God wants to take us. Uh, and so we'll, we'll just hop in in verse 13. Uh, and then at the end uh, of service, we're going to, I'm going to share some, uh, I guess you could call them prophetic words. Um, I'm going to share some prophetic words. Uh, my wife has a word that she wants to share. And then we're going to break up in groups of like three or four just to warn you ahead of time if you want to leave service at that time. Some of you, you know, the introverts get in the panic mode. Um, I'm just letting you know now. Uh, and so we're going to break up and we're going to just share uh, from our hearts to one another as the Spirit leads. Is that cool? We'll do that for like five minutes, ten minutes. All right. Let's read the Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 We'll start right there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Amen. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, for our sake, he made him to be sin, 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we need your help by the Holy Spirit. Would you teach us and would you build our lives upon the cross? And would it just not be something that we talk about? Would the reality of the cross manifest uh, in every area of our lives, Lord? And where our Christian life uh, has, has been built on another foundation, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would help tonight, somehow, by your grace, to establish all of us on this rock, uh, which is Jesus and his cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. So go back to verse 13. A couple little notes here. For those of you who are new for, uh, in this environment of, of maybe sometimes where it gets a little wild and people are, are just seemingly out of their mind, um, I want to show you this in the Bible. Okay? Paul is saying, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If, if I'm out of my mind, it's not, it's not for you in this room. In worship, when we're worshiping God and people are spinning because they've been forgiven much and they're saying, God, we love you, and they're crying and lifting their hands and shouting and getting wild, guess what? He's saying that's not for you. Just to free, I don't know who I'm talking to, but that's just to liberate your heart. He said, why are those people doing that? It's because they're worshiping God. That offering is unto the Lord. So if you're beside yourself, he says, if I'm beside myself, it's for God. But if I'm, if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. Uh, oftentimes, I have, to, I have to keep it together up here for you. Like, like I'll be talking and thinking and praying, and I come with a full heart, and I come. And honestly, what I want to do a lot of times is just shout and run around and just say, God is amazing because of what's going on in my heart. But that doesn't help you, Right? That doesn't help you yeah, a little bit. Maybe give you some freedom. Your pastors are like, you do it. <laughs> There's something not right with these people. And it's Jesus. And I love it. So he says, if I'm in my right mind, it's for you. If I start talking to you intelligibly from the word of God and, and from his heart, it's for you. For your growth, for your progress, for your joy in the faith. Amen? little side note there. All right. So watch this. For the love of Christ controls us. Paul, why does the love of Christ control you? Because we've concluded this. This is so profound to me. Paul says that, that I'm controlled by love. God's love controls me. Why? How many of you would like to be controlled by the love of God? And not, not controlled by your flesh, not controlled by any other thing. You say, man, I, I would like for, for as a husband, as a wife, as a business leader, I want to be controlled by the love of God in everything I do. That's a worthwhile prayer. And, and what I find so profound, I've, I've read this a thousand times, maybe, maybe a thousand. I love this chapter. Is that the, 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 the love of Christ controlling this man and these group of people was because he made a conclusion. Read your Bible. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we've concluded this. The love of Christ controls you because you made a conclusion? Think about it. What's the conclusion that he makes? Let's look at it. Here's the conclusion. He says, I have concluded, we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Say all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what Paul's saying. He says, okay, because Jesus Christ died on a cross for all men. How many, how many men did Jesus Christ die on a cross for? Did he exclude any man or any woman? Meaning when someone comes to Christ, he doesn't need to get back on the cross again. He's already made payment and provision for the entire humanity, past, present, and future, to be reconciled to the Father. Are, true? He doesn't have to provide another offering. That There is enough life and reconciliation in the work on the cross. So this is what Paul's saying. Whether people have responded to that or not, we've made a conclusion that because he died, we are going to posture ourselves towards everybody, towards humanity, as if they have died with Christ. We've made a conclusion. God's love is compelling me. So when I walk into Athens and I'm seeing unknown gods and these people that are complete pagans, He's like, I've made a conclusion about them, that they've died because Christ died for them. And so God love, it controls me because I'm living under this conclusion that, that Christ made a decision about these people in Athens and these people in Lystra who stoned me to death. I've already made a conclusion that God loves them. I, he, you couldn't change Paul's mind. So when people stoned him in Lystra, Acts 14, they stoned him to death. This says that they drug him out of the city supposing that he was dead. Now, I don't know if you've stoned people before. I, I'm guessing if you suppose they were dead, you probably, he might have been dead. And it says that the disciples gathered around him and they lifted him up. And Paul's like, man, we, I got to keep preaching the gospel. Why, why would you, like, if we're honest, Heath's on the board of a lot of ministries. If that was one of the guys you're leading, wouldn't you say, hey, it may be time to take a sabbatical. <laughs> this is hard ground. But see, Paul had made a conclusion in his heart, and nothing was going to sway him. Christ died for all, therefore all died. So I've postured my heart towards humanity as if like, I am now looking at humanity through the lens of the cross. You see this? This is the conclusion that he's made. And this conclusion is what gave Paul love and was the fuel for his ministry. And I want to encourage you, if you feel numb in your marriage, if you feel numb in your, in your have vision in life, I want to encourage you that there is a lens through which you can look through the cross that will actually cause love to bubble up, up inside of you. And for many of you, if you feel numb, it's likely because you have forgotten the love expressed for you on the cross. And when you forget or grow numb to, or you say, oh, I know that, we, we, I know that he died on a cross for my sins, and we're singing a song tonight, and CJ and the team are leading, and they're like, thank you for the cross, and they sang it a thousand times, and some of you were like, why are we singing this over and over? It was an invitation for your heart to actually be reminded how much he loves you. So look, so he makes this conclusion. This is so amazing to me. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. This is awesome, church. We, we man, you want to talk about freedom. You want to live in freedom? Tap into this verse right here. This is freedom for you. He died, he died for all. He died for you so that you'd no longer live for yourself. 
Did you understand that? He died for you so that self could die on that cross, and when you came up out of the grave with him, you no longer had yourself at the top of your priority list and what you were living for. You were no longer self-seeking. So, so then how does that play out? How does that manifest in real life? It means that when someone hurts your self, you don't take it so personally because you're not living for your self. You're living for him who for your sake died and was raised. So what's he saying? He's saying, hey, I want your whole life to be in light of this man who died on a cross and was raised. Meaning, if, if, if someone sins against you, if someone trespasses against you, if you have a desire to do this or that, that it's all, your, your, your life is now no longer your own. You've been purchased because of this cross. <laughs> You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. Like, we don't like, like, the, 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 the culture we live in doesn't like to talk about you've been bought with a price, you're not your own. We, we like to be our own. We like to do, go the, our own way. What's that song? Is that a journey song? Uh, that's a cool song. But it's not true if you've been born again. You get to go his way. It's not journey. It is journey. What is it? Amen. All right. So watch this. We're going to get to the famous scripture now. This is so cool. Paul gives this, this from now on business. If, if, let me tell you this. If the cross for you has not become a from now on, you need to go back to the cross. The cross, the cross is so final, it's so permanent, it's so like definite that it's meant for the children of God to be like, because of this thing, it's like from now on. And now I'm going to break into the greatest showman. <laughs> that would be cool. You see, if I was Jeremy, I'd just break into it and start singing it. He's like church in a box. He can do everything. You really are. It's unfair. God was pouring out talents, and he just like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> spilled a few extra thousand. So look, from now on, I want to sing it so bad. <laughs> from now on, therefore, from now on, therefore, listen, when you see therefore in your Bible, Paul just builds upon it. Therefore, 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 he's building something. He says, Jesus died for all. Therefore, because he died for all, he says that they're no longer going to live for themselves but live for God. And so, because of the cross, from now on, therefore what? We regard no one according to the flesh. This, this, this is so incredible to me. We regard no one according to the flesh, Paul says. No one. No one. I don't regard you according to the flesh anymore. What do you mean, Paul? Meaning when you do something in your flesh that doesn't line up with who you are in God, I'm not going to regard that. I'm not going to register that. I'm not going to account for that. I'm not going to take my feelings and get hurt by that. I can no longer regard you according to the flesh. Why? Because he died for all. And I have covenanted through my covenant with my maker, the one who I said I follow, I've covenanted to regard mankind like he regards them which is according to the Spirit. 
And there's so, listen to me, this is, I, I, I could start flipping tables. There is so much ministry that we have to do that as the church collectively because people are unwilling to come out of their flesh. To be honest, the, the, the solution would be, can we, could we just repent of being in our flesh? Could we just repent of regarding so-and-so according to the flesh? Or could we just at least be honest with where we're at and saying, you know what, I know Jesus died on a cross for all and that, and that I'm not supposed to regard them according to the flesh and that he doesn't regard me according to the flesh, but I'm unwilling to do that with this person. That at least would be honest and you could get breakthrough, you could get progress, amen? It's okay if you're there, but just acknowledge if you're there and let the Holy Spirit soften your heart and give you some insight into, into what Jesus has done on the cross. This is so amazing to me. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We could talk forever about how that could play out, but I wanna, I wanna get to this. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What's he saying? He's saying, like, we take for granted because we get the end of the story. We, we take for granted that the perspective of the early church didn't... It, the revelation of Jesus as God wasn't widespread like it is now. Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph. He was a carpenter's son. People knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. Like, you, you know that when Jesus was like 20 years old and he's walking the streets, people walked by God and they didn't know it. They're walking by God, the one who, for whom and by whom all things exist. They walk and they bump his shoulders and they watch it, man. That's God you just bumped. This is the humility of Jesus. And people regarded him according to the flesh. And he says, but now we don't do that anymore because now we see. Now we see who he is. We see who he is after the spirit, and we can't regard him according to the flesh. Now, here's the famous scripture that we all love to quote over, quote over ourselves when we're having a bad day, okay? But I want to show you something. I don't believe 2 Corinthians 5.17 is actually talking about me. I think it's talking about you. Hear me. I think you can apply it to, to me, but he's actually talking about you if you look at the context of the scripture. So he's saying, he's talking about because of how, what Christ did, the, our perception towards people is that we no longer regard them. Like our perception, regard, our calculation of them, our perception, how we see them is not according to the flesh. So he's talking about a horizontal, because of this, the way I see is different. You guys see that? So, so now when he comes in, in verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I believe Paul is showing the church how to view one another. He's trying to show you because Christ has died, I want you to view every single person that's in your fellowship that says, Hey, I'm in Christ if they acknowledge I'm in Christ, even though they act in your flesh, we now have permission from God through the cross to go, man, I don't have permission to treat you according to your flesh. I actually don't have freedom to, 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 to regard you according to that anyway. And so if I can't regard you to, according to the flesh, how am I going to relate to you? 
Well, the old has passed away, but the new has come. So I wonder if someone who's acting in their flesh doesn't know how new they are. I wonder if their mind just hasn't been renewed to the fact of how brand spanking new they've become in Jesus through the covenant. And I wonder if our job is actually just to regard them according to who they are so that they wake up and go, wait a minute, you think I'm valuable? You mean, you mean that you sinned against me, but, but love is patient, and so you didn't go anywhere? You sinned against me, but love is kind, and so not only were you patient, but you extended kindness towards me when I sinned against you? And that, and that kindness, watch this, kindness leads to repentance. Oh, come on. Some of you have been trying to change the behavior of someone else that you know. And you've been trying to control their flesh and punish their flesh and put boundaries for their flesh. And, and God said, hey, you know, there's something that's cool about me. It's my kindness that leads to repentance. You're trying to get someone to change their mind about what they're doing and to change their behavior. But repentance only comes through kindness. So if you can't be patient enough with someone who's sinning against you to be kind to them, they may never actually change. And the only way you're going to be patient with someone who's sinning against you is if you have eyes to see and you've made a conclusion that he died for them. And the only reason they're acting that way is you go, man, I'm not going to regard you according to the flesh. The only reason you're acting that way is because you have no idea how brand new you are. Man, you're just, it's just, it's not a, there's no condemnation, there's no shame, there's no, you're just going, man, you just, it's okay, man, you're manifesting your flesh. Wow, that's incredible. How could that still be there, you know? <laughs> like when my kids, when my kids, my son today, Samuel, he's four, I need to, I need to finish this. I'm going to give you this example. I tried to put him down for a nap because bless his heart, he needs a nap. And the kid just manifested. I'm talking about like jumping on the bed, running, screaming. Like it was just bananas. I've never seen anything like it. I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm realizing the only reason he's doing that is for two reasons. One, he's four. And two, he's really tired. Now, a four-year-old who's tired is incapable. I've learned this as a dad. A four-year-old who's tired is incapable of manifesting sanity. <laughs> they cannot do it. A Christian who doesn't know God loves them is incapable of manifesting the Spirit. So instead of going, you know, come here, you, why are you doing this? Which I did. I yelled at him. Because <laughs> it took me a little while. To remind myself that he's four and he's tired, right, Jen? He's four and he's tired and he can't. It's one thing if they can. You get mad at him. You're like, I know you can do better, you know? But he couldn't. And so I, I, I'm saying this. I'm giving this analogy because I think it's so important in how we treat one another that there's got to be in our hearts a from now on. From now on, because of this cross, I'm not going to treat so-and-so according to the flesh. I'm not going to retreat, retreat, treat anybody according to the flesh. 
because they're a brand new creation. And then, you know, what, you know what becomes really fun? It becomes our joy to ask the Holy Spirit and partner with the Father. Dad, would you show me? Would you show me what's so brand new about this person? Would you show me what, what about this person you love? Like now all of a sudden we're partnering with the Father in bringing light and we're, 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 we're actually fulfilling. Every one of you have a ministry, by the way. It's called reconciliation. You're in full-time ministry whether you knew it or not. And here's your ministry, not counting men's trespasses against them. That's your only ministry is, hey, when someone sins against you, just tell them, hey, it doesn't count. Come on. Do you know we would have revival if we did this? If we really, really did this, like if you cleared the slate, I'm not talking about like, oh, I kind of forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. I'm talking about what you did in the flesh. It's wiped off the ledger because there's this cross and this blood thing that's accounted for it, and I refuse to be a debt collector of something that he already paid for. When you, when you withhold forgiveness and go, you need to pay for that, what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, I know you paid for that, but I still want to be a debt collector. He's paid the tab, and you're going, pay me the bill. And he's already paid their tab.